Good morning again, and I trust that you've been able to get your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15, and, and thanks Randall for reading for us our passage this morning. Uh, in a way, there's several items that this passage addresses um, in our text, uh, from legalism, hypocrisy, worship, matters of the heart, priority of the word, uh, but we're going to try and couch this, or I'm going to, under a heart for God's Word. I feel like that might be the overarching principle that we can get to the rest of the matters. But I want to begin by talking about worship. That's what we're here to do. And in our uh, pastoral prayer time, you heard Pastor Brian even talk about worship being one of our core values. You see it on the wall out in the lobby and outside the staff room worship. And what do we mean by worship here at Oak Park? Well, we hope that this is a biblical definition of worship, but adoring God the Father through Jesus the Son by the Holy Spirit as prescribed in his word. That's what we're trying to do here and lead us in every Sunday. However, there is a great danger in worship for us as Christians. There's a great danger that we have to fight against every time that we come here on a Sunday morning, and that danger is to offer empty or vain worship. Jesus even refers to it here in this text and says, well, does Isaiah prophesy of you? Well, we don't want to be the you in that text, right? (laughs) We don't want to be them. And so there's a, a subtle temptation for us, I think, every time that we gather for worship, And the reason I say it's subtle is because I don't think that we often think about it. Oftentimes, that's part of the problem. We just walk in here, and we go through the motions, and we don't think about what we're doing, and we find, oh, wow, we're halfway through the prayer, and I have absolutely no idea what he just said. Or I'm singing the song, and and what what, what are these words? And we, we even catch ourselves, right? We find ourselves maybe honoring him with our lips, but even our minds are not with him, right? There's a subtle danger when we come to worship that we might be just going through the motions, but it'd be empty. It'd be vain, as Jesus calls it. I think there's several ways by which this happens, but I just want to point out maybe two. I think sometimes, and, and maybe, yeah, sometimes people are tempted when they're thinking about worship and devoting themselves to worship to, to judge the quality of worship based on a strict formalism, perhaps. Maybe they, they truly feel like, hey, I'm worshiping by, by adhering to maybe ritual, certain outward posturing, or somberness that they bring to the matter. And they think, if, if, I am, if I'm those things, then that's true worship, something that maybe is very stoic and, and cold, reverential, maybe. Others may be on the opposite spectrum, and they're tempted to believe that actually true worship is found in being as informal as possible. That's where it really is, because formality is cold and, 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 and dark, but lively worship is when it's not informal. Maybe there's spontaneity to it, individual expression, excitement. And sometimes we call these things the worship awards, I don't know. We call it, oh, I'm more into a traditional worship service, or I'm more into contemporary. Some call it high church versus low church. 
And here's the deal that we've we got to be careful that we do not fall into, is that both kind of perspectives, if, if you're valuing the value of worship based on what you can see, well, actually, you violated what Jesus is talking about. You've actually defined worship by external matters, what you can see on the outside rather than the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And what we're going to see in this text this morning is that that Jesus says that true and acceptable worship only occurs when people have a right heart for God, when they have a right heart with God, when they share God's heart. We just sang it. Hopefully we weren't just honoring with our lips. The, the, The love of God is poured into our hearts. That's what we want to happen when we worship So that we aren't like those in Jesus' day, those whom he is confronting here in this text, where he says, you honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And notice what else he says. He says, in vain they worship. Why? Because, verse 9, they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. What we're seeing here is what we teach impacts how we worship. What we believe about the Word of God and what's the authority in our life and in our church and in our lives impacts your worship. And if you are devoted to the doctrines of men, you can't worship, Jesus says. So how do we understand these things? Well, Jesus says that where the Word of God has been supplanted in your life or in a church where it's been supplanted by philosophies, ideals, or traditions of men, the heart will actually drift from God. When when God's people aren't hearing God's word regularly, your heart will drift, and consequently, your worship will be empty, no matter how it may look on the outside. This is what, by and large, has occurred in Israel. And Jesus is confronting the religious leaders about it. The Pharisees and the scribes, we can see here in verse 1, have made an official visit from Jerusalem. You see that there? The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, which means this was not an accidental visit. They had been hearing about Jesus. They had been hearing about what he was doing. And so the top-tier religious leaders say, hey, we got to go examine this guy out. we got to go see what he's up to. We need to validate his teaching. But what they do not realize is that Jesus is going to examine them. They've come to quiz Jesus, but Jesus is going to expose them. And Jesus is going to examine them because they have actually allowed their man-made traditions, their man-made rules, their man-made doctrines to actually nullify, to invalidate the Word of God in their lives and in the lives of the people. And so Jesus is going to say of them, they are like blind guides leading the blind. Both are going to fall off into a pit. So the question for us this morning is, how do we guard ourselves from empty worship? How do we guard ourselves from vain and heartless worship might be a better term for us to understand. Because this temptation, guess what, is something that even conservative Bible-believing Christians are susceptible to. In fact, The religious leaders were the conservatives, and Jesus is exposing them. 
for their hypocrisy. And so there might be a sense in which this passage is being spoken to us directly. How do we keep ourselves from heartless worship that's wrapped up in externals? We do so by cultivating a heart for God's word. That's what I want us to understand today. We do so by cultivating a heart for God's word, which is our authority by which we stand. God's word is our ultimate authority. God's word, as we're going to see, leads us in acceptable worship. God's word is going to protect us from damning error, and God's word supplies our deepest needs. So I want us to begin by thinking about what it means to allow God's word to actually be our ultimate authority in all of life. It's interesting here that Jesus charges these religious leaders, these religious conservatives, with undermining the authority of God's word. Because they would have been like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we are the Bible people. We don't undermine God's word, Jesus. We are the ones who carry it and memorize it, and, and we're the ones who are praying on the street corners. Haven't you noticed? <laughs> we're all Bible people. They were the very ones who thought, huh, we are the ones trying to get people to, to trust God's word all the more. That's why we're here, because you don't seem to be adhering to God's word. And what's the issue at hand? The issue is over the fact they have come, and, and they've obviously been watching for some time, and they've noticed, hey, Jesus, um, we've noticed that your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And they weren't going through a COVID pandemic situation here. This isn't about having, you know, hand sanitizer at the table. They're, they're upset. They think that Jesus is advocating things that are not acceptable to God. I want you to be aware, this is not about washing your hands before you eat. Maybe, maybe there's a secondary benefit here. But this was a practice of, of expressing deep holiness, uh, of showing true piety and godliness and, and showing that you are ceremonially clean before God. I remember as a young boy, I actually, I went to Catholic school as a Baptist. I went to Catholic school. It's kind of a, a, a funny story. But anyway, I remember every, every week when we would go to Mass, and if you've, you've come from a Catholic background or been to a Catholic church, you'll know what I'm talking about. You come in the doors and there is a font with holy water, if you're familiar. And what are you supposed to do? You, you dip your hand in it, and you make the sign of the cross. And, and, and there's a symbolic gesture by which you are being cleansed. Well, as a young kid, I like to push the envelope. And so we're all in line in our class getting ready to set up for mass. And I just decide I'm not doing it today. We're going to find out what happens. And, and don't think, oh, he's this godly Baptist. No, it was pure rebellion, pure and godless rebellion. And so I walk past it, and I let all my friends do it, and I just keep walking on, and I think I've gotten away with it till I feel the whiplash of my neck as my teacher grabs the back collar of my shirt and drags me to the back of the line, picks my hand up, dips it in, makes me say, make the sign of the cross and says, don't you ever do that again. I imagine the religious leaders were as pleasant as she was. This is the closest thing that I can imagine, at least to a similar situation that they were probably 
enduring. And, and, and just as there's no biblical warrant, you're not going to find a, bab, a, a passage or any, any sense that says you must cleanse yourself before you walk into the church doors, what might surprise you is there's no biblical command for these Pharisees either and what they were commanding everyone to do, to wash their hands before they eat. So you might be saying, well, then how were they the Bible people? Well, because they were making logical conclusions, they thought. From the Bible, they were, they were going above and beyond what the Bible may instruct, and they thought they were being extra holy. And so here was probably what they were thinking about. The closest command in Scripture to washing your hands before you eat would be given to the priests before they would enter into the temple. Well, that was only for a limited people. But it was before you would enter the temple and you would come into the table of the Lord, you would not only have to wash your hands, but you would have to wash your whole body to, to, to cleanse yourself symbolically before you would enter the presence of the Lord. Well, well, they began to think that, well, if that's the table of the Lord that we should be prepared, well, how much more should we be prepared our own tables? See, that sounds really holy and spiritual, doesn't it? And so they began to say, if you don't do this, well, then you aren't acceptable. You see how it jumped really quick? And that's what Jesus is being questioned over. But Jesus has no uh, time for their hypocrisy. And so he actually says, I I've got a question for you. I got a question for you. Why do you dishonor God's word through your traditions? And I bet the religious leaders looked back, took back, like, what are you talking about? We're the Bible people. And Jesus says, okay, let me give you an example. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. And anyone who violates this commandment, guess what? They are to be put to death. You guys break this commandment all the time. You see in verse 5, he says, you say... If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. It's kind of an odd saying, but I think we might be able to understand what's going on here. Part of honoring one's parents, particularly when they get older, is to take care of them in their old age and, and to supply uh, housing, food, and, and you begin, the roles change, if you will. Well, the Pharisees came up with a rule that if you devoted your property, your time, and your resources to the Lord, well, guess what? You don't have to do that because you've devoted it to God, and you can't give to humans what you've given to God. Again, sounds very spiritual. Maybe some of you in Bible college have thought some of these things. Well, I don't have time for my parents. I've got to devote myself to the things of God. Well, that's exactly what they were doing. I don't have to give myself. I'm giving myself to God's business. It's a subtle way to make us feel spiritual, but we neglect some of the most basic commands in Scripture. Do you see the re religious hypocrisy in this? It has the appearance of being really godly, but this is evil. And this is what happens when we abandon the authority of God's Word, even by adding to it thinking that we'll go above and beyond, almost to guard from a slippery slope maybe perhaps. And what you will find in that making an overstretch in terms of what God commands, you may overlook some of the most basic things that God commands. And often where this shows up is how you treat people. 
He goes to one area that, that he could see, and apparently this was well known in the day. And he goes and he, he points out one blinding area. You're all about the Bible, but yet you, you willingly instruct people to break the fifth commandment by going beyond what God has instructed. And so here's a good lesson for us, brothers and sisters. If our theology, our traditions, our cultural practices cause us to be merciless and to make void, clear uh, instruction in the Scriptures, well, then we're just like these Pharisees, nullifying the Word of God in our lives and validating it. This is why we must always be evaluating ourselves according to God's Word, shouldn't we? We should always be evaluating, am I, am I adhering to the Scriptures? Am I adding to it? Am I implicitly taking away from it? Are there passages that when we read it, well, well it doesn't really mean that. You ever find yourself doing that because it's inconvenient? We need to be cultivating a heart for God's Word, saying, wherever your Word speaks... I will follow. And I will not go, as Paul instructed the churches in his days, we instruct that you do not go beyond what is written. Which, believe it or not, is a temptation for us, isn't it? We not only want to allow God's word to be the ultimate authority in our life, but we want to allow God's word to lead us in acceptable worship. And Jesus here in verses 8 and 9, he, he reveals that the religious leaders, it's all pretense. It's all whitewashed tombs. It looks solid, but it is hollow on the inside. And he points out that their worship is in vain. In fact, Israel's worship is in vain because of what they have done. Why? Because they are teaching as doctrines, as decrees of God. They're actually commandments of men. Do you see what Jesus is saying? If you undermine the scriptures, either by adding to them or by taking away from them, you actually nullify worship. How does this happen? Well, because man-made traditions, actually they, they force us to concern ourselves only with the externals. Whether you're the strict formalist or you're the, you're the uh, free willy informalist. You're only concerned with what's on the outside, what you can see. The traditions of men, the doctrines of men, the teachings of men, what are they always concerned with? Do not taste, do not touch, do not chew, do not date girls who do. You know, all those type of things, right? It's always, here's what the rule list is. I remember, I've shared this before, but I remember uh, a church I was at, wasn't here, uh, someone gave me a book on, on true biblical femininity. And, and it basically had in the book list of brands you could not buy and TV shows that you could not watch. And, and this was over a decade ago and all these shows and all these brands, some of them were out of business because it was so old. That's the thing. It's external. It's old. It's cold. You put it in stone and it's out of date. And it, it assumed that true holiness was where you bought your makeup. Or what TV show you watched or didn't watch. That's what happens when we begin to go beyond and say, oh no, here's actually the true list of what it means to be acceptable before God. And Jesus says, actually, if that's what you're operating under, your worship is vain. 
because you don't understand the heart of the matter. Man-made traditions make us concerned with externals rather than the condition of our own heart. And this is reflective in the fact that you will see people, though they may have their doctrine right, if they're merciless, they show they don't understand it. They may know their Bibles inside and out, but they show they do not know the God of the Bible when they do not share his heart. Those who are merciless don't know the mercy of God. And so this is why, brothers and sisters, we always need to be evaluating ourselves. Search me and know me, O Lord. See if there be in me any wayward thought. We are always seeking to make every thought captive and obedient to Christ, even those things that no one would dare even to know because they are in the recesses of your own heart. But the Lord knows. And what we see here is that we need to always be evaluating ourselves according to God's precious and perfect word. We don't need to edit it. We don't need to, to, to hide things from it. We don't need to add things to it. It is completely and perfectly sufficient for our needs, even in the 21st century. It can. It does. It is living and active. And by devoting ourselves to it, guess what? It will lead us into acceptable worship. Why? Because the word and truth will work the love of God into our hearts, as we sang this morning. As we begin to not only know the word, but press the word into our hearts and begin to commune with our Heavenly Father, guess what? We become like Him. And our God is love. Here's a fundamental principle that we need to understand. Worship is always a response to the revelation of God himself. You cannot worship unless you have seen God. And the only way you can see him is as he's revealed in his word. Worship always follows revelation. God reveals, people worship. And so where you see a church worshiping, Truly, in spirit and truth, from the heart, not just mere motions, no matter if it looks like high church or if it looks like low church. Where you will find the common denominator between all the true churches is where the word of God is proclaimed and obeyed. And you will see a people who know God and worship him. One of the comments that I often hear from guests who meet and, and make maybe reflections, and, and one of the, the things that often comes... It's not about my preaching, which is good sometimes, but how everyone sings. Maybe they've been to a church where everyone just stands there and no one sings, but here they come and they're like, everyone sings. And, and there's different age groups and they're all singing the same song. We, we've got the eight o'clock service for the old people and we got the 11 o'clock service for the young people, but you guys somehow meet at 1030 and make it all work. How's that? tell you because you love God's word and you love Jesus and you're responding to his word as it worked into your hearts and you sing. Worship comes from the revelation of God. However, will you usurp God's word like the, like the religious leaders, guess what? We'll become blind guides. Blind leading the blind. And this is 
why we must allow God's word to protect us from damning error. After confronting the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, Jesus calls the crowds, and no doubt they were probably watching, and they were seeing the, the, the Pharisees confronting Jesus, and they were probably uh, murmuring, oh no, what's he? he's in trouble, the principles are here. Oh no, we're, what's going to happen? And Jesus says, hey everybody, come here, come here. Hear and understand what I'm about to tell you. What these guys teach you is wrong. <laughs> That's what basically he does. He says it another way through a, a proverb or a, a parable, as the text says. He says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. In other words, these guys keep telling you that it's all about the externals. And you got to do these certain things in order to be acceptable to God. But I want to tell you they're wrong. What defiles you and separates you from God is what comes out of your mouth. What resides in your heart. That's what he's talking about here. And the truth of this application of God's word, which is really what Jesus has done. He has gotten to the heart of the law. Love God and love your neighbor. And they have, they have strained the gnat and swallowed the camel. A, just totally bypass the obvious. And they're not happy about it. I love this. Verse 12, then the disciples came to him and said, hey, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed, but these guys are ticked. <laughs> these guys were offended by what they heard you saying. Imagine Jesus just kind of go, okay. He goes, well, listen here. He goes, verse 13, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, he's going to uproot. Leave them alone. They are like blind guides leading the blind, and they're both going to fall in a pit. What's Jesus saying? Well, we would just say, forget them. That's basically what he means there. Leave them alone. We say, forget them. That's what he's saying. Don't worry about them. They're going to lead you astray. And what's he talking about with this planting and uprooting? Well, it's back to the weeds and the wheat. Back in, in chapter 13, the parable of the weeds. He says, yeah, the evil one sows weeds among the wheat. And he goes, and my heavenly father at the end of the age is going to uproot the weeds. And what he's calling them is they're the weeds. My heavenly father is going to judge them. And everyone who falls in them will fall into the pit of judgment. That's what he's saying. So leave them alone. Forget them. Stop worrying about these hypocrites. That's what he's saying to them. So what's the implications here? Well, maybe put on the positive side. Listen to me is what Jesus is saying. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. So that you're not blinded by the error that they're spewing, which is going to lead to judgment. Well, how do you and I do that today? How do we listen to Jesus? How do we heed verse 10, hear and understand? We submit to God's word, right? We listen to him. We listen to him and not the commandments of men. We submit ourselves to God's word. 
And we allow his word to work in us and to shape us and mold us. And in so doing, God's word actually will supply our deepest need. And so after this, Peter approaches Jesus. He's like, okay, I got, got one more question for you, Jesus. Could you explain what you meant again? Can you explain the parable again? I don't know about you, but I find comfort here. There's times, I don't know about you, but you're reading scripture and you read it and you're like, I, I, I understand what it says, but what does it mean? Maybe you wrestle with it. Well, Peter's here. He's like, hey, Jesus, could you kind of put this in layman terms for me? Can you lower it? Seems that Jesus is a little bit perturbed, maybe. Peter, you, you've, you've, you were walking on water. You, you doubted. Now here you are. You still don't understand? Okay. One more time here. And Jesus begins to open it up. But here's a principle that I don't want you to miss. Peter is submitting himself to Jesus' word. He's actually saying, Jesus, explain what your word means. And this is a great principle for us in Scripture. When we're reading the Bible, we let other Scripture interpret Scripture. So the things that are less clear, we, we, we come to the things that are more clear and helps us understand it. There might be a reason why God gave us four Gospels. Because we're like, Peter, I need you to explain this another way. <laughs> All right, how about four times, right? We need to submit ourselves to God's Word. And where, where, where one thing, we, wanna, we want to be informed by all of God's Word. We let it inform where we do not yet understand. And so Peter's doing this. Explain the parable for us. And so he's getting Jesus' word on the matter. We get an inspired commentary, if you will. And so Jesus makes the parable or proverb clearer. And in terms of food and drink, which are things that the food laws of the Old Testament that, that everyone thought were like the, the essence of holiness before God, actually Jesus is saying, no, those things are of an older era, but they always were pointing to something greater, and that is your need for a circumcised heart, a heart that's made right before God. And so Jesus makes this abundantly clear. He says, what goes into the mouth, you want it simple terms? It next goes to your stomach, okay? And where does it go next? Well, you fill in the blank. That's basically what he says. You know where it goes, right? Okay. God created that to happen. It's okay. You can eat and drink whatever you want. That's what Jesus says. He says, but rather, what you need to be worried about, Peter, is that what makes a person right or not with God is what comes out of the mouth, and that resides in your heart. For what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And what, what things do we witness? What things do we see? Well, we get a window into your evil thoughts. This is where murder comes from. This is where adultery resides. This is where sexual immorality begins. This is where theft begins, false witness, and slander. All the sins of the world, guess what? The danger's not out there, it's in here. We need to remember that. Sometimes we think that if we could just lock ourselves up, we'll be safe from sin. But guess what? Sin's in you. Sin's in your heart. And Jesus is saying all the things in the world, guess what? They reside in your own heart. And so you can try to lock yourself up. You can try all these sort of rules. Do not taste, do not touch, do not do these things, but do these things and you'll be protected. Actually, no, you won't. 
The human heart is deceptively wicked. And it can turn those maybe good things into self-righteousness and blind you from your own sin. And he's not just saying, hey, now you can do whatever you want, go live a, a crazy life as long as you got, you know, do it for Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to understand the root problem begins inside you. It's not out there. Your words and your actions, and this is true for all of us, are a window into our heart. See, the traditions and doctrines of men, they don't address our deepest need, do they? They only address what we can see. They may make us look good on the outside. They may align us with cultural norms or keep us in good standing with religious conservatives. But they can do nothing to make you right with God. They can do nothing. Why? Because they only concern what can be seen and they don't concern the heart which cannot be seen. God's word on the other hand, what does it do? It lays the thoughts and intentions of the heart bare right before us. The scriptures are actually like a double-edged sword. It's hopefully been working in all of us this morning. It lays us bare and it, and it pierces us and it hurts and exposes our own hypocrisy, doesn't it? It shows us where we have not yielded ourselves truly to the Lord, where we have harbored bitterness maybe to someone in the name of Jesus. It shows us where maybe we have added to God's commands or maybe where we have taken away because we didn't think those things were important. It shows where maybe we've allowed hatred and evil thoughts to simmer toward others and it reveals our true nature. If you lay yourself before God's word, at times it can be horrifying what you find. Yet, to those who yield to God's word and agree with it, and agree with God's verdict on our hearts, guess what? It's a healing sword. It covers our sin. He who confesses his sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not count his sins against him. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins to him. Same scripture which speaks judgment upon us also in Christ speaks forgiveness and reconciliation and covers our sins and cleanses us truly from all unrighteousness. This section of scripture that we find ourselves in was an incredible passage and section to reinforce the priorities of the Protestant Reformation, particularly the battle cry of the authority of scripture, uh, sola scriptura is the battle cry, scripture alone. This is one of the key texts to ground this truth and combat the errors of the day. But also the good news of salvation is found here. The good news that salvation comes by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. The next Sunday is Reformation Sunday around here. We come back and we remember some of our own heritage and where we came from. And it's fitting that we find ourselves in beginning in verse 21 of the faith of the Canaanite woman. 
This woman was everything that the religious leaders in Israel despised. On the outside, she was filthy. She was far from God. But guess what? We're going to see the good news that by faith, she's brought near. And then by faith, anyone who comes to Christ may be cleansed of all their sins, no matter what they have done, no matter where they've come from, no matter who they are, no matter what they wear. They can be made right with Christ. And I want you to know that you don't have to wait till next Sunday to be made right with Christ. You can be made right with him today if you will trust and say, yes, yes, I want to be accepted by God. He says, listen and understand. Come to me. Stop giving yourself to the world's ideas. Come to my word. Come listen to me and follow me. And if you want to know how you can do that, I'm going to be outside in the lobby. I would love to talk to you and tell you about the gracious uh, word of our Lord and how he will call you from serving yourself to serving him. But what you once thought was slavery will become freedom. And you will find that you will find life in Christ. And you will find that your heart can be cleansed from all your guilt and all your shame and all your worries about finding identity accepted in this, acceptance in this world, you don't have to worry about those things anymore because you will find acceptance in the world to come, world which will last forever. And you will never be ashamed again. I hope you'll take me up on that offer in the lobby. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we, we come to your word today and we see that it is living and active, though... The circumstances that Jesus faced were over 2,000 years ago. Lord, these are the same issues we deal with today, even in our own hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that your word right now has been a double-edged sword doing surgery on us. And the same knife that cuts us open and lays our heart bare would sew us up and heal us and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness, all our filthiness, all our defilements, because you have clothed us in the spotless righteousness of Christ and his work on the cross for us and how he has taken the curse, taken the shame, taken the filth, and he has borne your wrath upon him for us so that we may experience your grace and your mercy in him. Lord, please continue to pour your love into our hearts as we submit ourselves to your word. And now may we worship you. Maybe earlier it was just merely words on our lips, but may now the songs that we sing arise from the true depths of our heart. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.